Good evening. You have just heard Mrs. Cook read the 10th chapter of John. which illustrates two very important points in uh, the message of the infinite way. One of these is the master's statement that he can lay down his life and pick it up, that no man can take it from him. If you will remember when Jesus was standing before Pilate and Pilate reminded him that he had power to crucify him or set him free that Jesus answered thou couldst have no power over me unless it came from the Father. It has puzzled many people why he could say that to Pilate and then be crucified. But you see, the tenth chapter of John revealed the answer. Pilate had no power to take from Jesus his life. As a matter of fact, he probably would not have had power to crucify Jesus had Jesus not wished it, but he had power to lay it down and to pick it up and to submit to the crucifixion was his way of showing that he could lay it down and that he could pick it up again. And so it was that it was demonstrated that Pilate had no power to take the life of Jesus. No temporal power has the power to take the life of any man. Neither sin, disease, bullets, or bombs has any power to take the life of man. We do not voluntarily submit <clears throat> To being shot, crucified, bombed. But we know that if for any reason we were, our lives would not be at stake. For there is no temporal power that can take or destroy life. Because you do not have the evidence of this to your five physical senses well let me say because the world does not have the evidence of this to the five physical senses the world is not in a position to agree this was true of all only the spiritually illumined saw Jesus after the resurrection. Those of material sense never saw him after his burial. 
Therefore, it is only the spiritually illumined who receive the conviction of immortality. So we have it today. There is no way to prove to the human mind that there is such a thing as life eternal, and life eternal here and now, indestructible, immortal. There's no way to prove that to the materially minded. For they see the ravages of disease, and they see the funeral ceremony, and they see the body laid at rest. And because they can only judge by appearances, because they can only judge by the seeing of their eye, they have no sign of immortality. Those of inhuman vision today are able to perceive not only that Pilate, with all his temporal power, or any form of war, any form of force, physical force, has not the power to destroy life. Only the spiritually illumined can see that, for only the spiritually illumined can see that the physical form is not a person. The person is I. The physical form is but an instrument, like the bark of a tree or the trunk of a tree, which is not the tree itself. The tree itself is invisible. The tree itself is life, which flows as a tree. And uh, the physical form, the trunk, the branches, the leaves, these do not constitute a tree. These constitute the form or the vehicle as which the tree becomes visible. So it is with us. When you look in the mirror, you cannot see yourself. When you look up here at me, you cannot see me. You can see my form, but I can prove to you that I am not in this form. I can prove to you that you are not in that form where you are. All you would have to do is to perform the experiment that we do in our classwork of looking down at your feet and asking yourself if those feet constitute you. Are you feet? Then you smile and say, no, these feet are mine. And so you go all the way up the body until you come right up to the top of your head and you say, is this me? And you answer, certainly not, this is mine. These are my limbs, my arms, my torso, my body, my chest, my head, my eyes, my ears, my brain, my hair. But by the time you get through, you have to ask yourself, well then, where am I? Now you've discovered the great secret, that I am not in this body, and I am not this body, and if you blew this body to pieces, you would not have touched me. For I and my Father are one, and we are spiritual. I am the life which animates this body. 
I am the intelligence which says to this hand, go up or go down, or give or withhold, or pet or punch. I am the intelligence of this body. I am the substance of this body, its life. I am its integrity. My body can't steal. My body can't commit adultery. Why? Because I govern this body. And this body can do nothing of itself. It can't walk forward and it can't walk backward. It can't rise from this chair and it can't seat itself. It can do nothing but obey the instructions that it receives from me. And when we are further along on the spiritual path, we will understand that the stomach can't be sick and the heart can't get weak and the brain can't disintegrate because I govern these. I instruct the body in the way in which it should go. If the body deteriorates, it is because we have not accepted spiritual truth and we have permitted universal belief to operate in or upon the body. Now, universal belief says that weather can do one thing to it, climate can do another thing to it, food or a lack of it can do another thing to it, age, the passing of time can do another thing to it, Infection and contagion can do another thing to it. These are all universal beliefs. And of course, if you do not take possession of your own life, if you do not, do not take the dominion that God gave you over everything on this earth and beneath it and above it, then of course you are just like a limp cloth in the breeze, blowing about any way the breeze wishes to carry you. And in this case, the breeze is universal belief. And so if universal belief says this is the wrong climate, the body immediately says I have rheumatism. And if universal belief says you're eating the wrong food, you have a stomach upset, and if universal belief says you're three score years and ten, you start paying off the undertaker. <laughs> Always obeying universal belief instead of scripture. For scripture says that God gave man dominion over the weather, over the food, over everything that is in the earth and beneath the earth and in the waters of the earth and in the air above the earth, and in the heavens above the earth, even the stars that so many people bow down to, and worship, and fear, and yield power to, even these man was given dominion over. But no, it's so easy to pick up the newspaper and see whether we're going to live or die today according to which month we were born in, or whether we're going to get money in the mail or lose money, and then start to see how fast we can obey what we read in the newspaper. Now, 
in the 10th chapter, you realize, in the 10th chapter of John, you realize that I can lay down my life and I can pick it up. And any one of you can do the same thing. You can just decide to let the carnal mind have its fling with you. You can just make up your mind to let universal belief do anything it wishes to you. Even bury you at three score years and ten. Or you can pick up your own life and determine I have God-given dominion over this body and over everything that is in this earth. And above it and beneath it. Only I have to take dominion. Now the same 10th chapter of John tells you how. Because it says you can only enter life more abundantly through the door. And then it tells you what the door is. I am. There you have it again. I can lay down this life or pick it up. I have God-given dominion. Therefore, the door through which you have to enter life more abundantly is a door called I. I. When you stop to ponder that word I and meditate upon it, First of all, realizing that I isn't a body and isn't in the body. That I is something outside of, yet governing the body. All of a sudden you realize the infinite nature of the I that I am. You begin to realize why Moses was lifted up from being a shepherd being the leader of an entire race of people. Just by the discovery of the word I. And you'll also begin to realize why a boy who started life as a carpenter and ended up as a Hebrew rabbi has become the light of the world. And he did it all through the word I. Every bit of it. I am the way and the truth and the life. I am that I am. I am the bread and the wine and the water. I have meat the world knows not of. I am come that I might have life and that I might have it more abundantly. I am come that ye might have life. Anyone who realizes the sanctity of the word I becomes a leader nationwide or worldwide of those who are seeking the secret of life more abundantly. It isn't difficult for a shepherd boy to become a world-renowned leader. It isn't difficult for a Hebrew rabbi to become the light of the world. Anyone can do it. It just requires the realization of the meaning of the word I. I don't mean by any manner of means that it's easy. I don't think it was easy for Moses. I don't think it was easy for Isaiah. 
I don't think it was easy for Jesus, or else Jesus would not have said, the way is straight and narrow and few there be that enter. But I think it's possible. I'm sure that it's possible. I'm sure that it's possible with the realization of the true nature of the I that I am for any individual to rise above the material beliefs of his particular age above the dominion by carnal mind instead of dominion by the I that I am I think it is possible for any person to die to their own materialistic concepts of life and be reborn through the realization of the nature of the I that I am. For only then does it become clear that I and my Father are one. That all that the Father hath is mine. The place whereon I stand is holy ground. You see, once we recognize I, we have recognized the presence of God. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Where is the Spirit of the Lord? Wherever there is a recognition of man's oneness with his source. I and my Father are one. One isn't two by any manner of means. One is just one. And that one I am. Once this is recognized, you begin to meditate. And when you meditate on the word I, having discovered that I am not in the body, I am not sitting here in this chair, you soon find that I occupy this whole room. Later on, you'll discover that I'm outside this room looking in. Later on, you'll discover that I'm way up on the roof looking down. And sometime later, you will see that I am at the center of this universe, looking forwards, backwards, to the left and to the right simultaneously, beholding this entire universe all at one time including the past, the present, and the future, for I and my Father are one. And where God is, I am. Where I am, God is. Where I am is recognized, God is. In the recognition of I is the recognition of infinity. Then you understand that other statement in the 10th chapter of John. I am come that ye might have life and that ye might have it more abundantly. And as you begin to ponder that word I, you will find that your life is becoming more abundant. Your relationships with others will become more loving, peaceful, generous. Your supply will either increase or cover much more ground than it ever did before. 
it will come to you with less effort, less exertion, less strain, and it will go out from you without any violent holding on to it. We create our own pains by trying to hold on to form, by trying to hold on to things which we have outgrown, by trying to cling to conditions which we believe uh, gave us joy yesterday and therefore will give us joy tomorrow, not remembering that we have been taught even in the old scripture not to lay up manna for tomorrow, not to lay up treasure where moth and rust corrupt. For we do not live on yesterday's manna. We do not live on yesterday's possessions. We live on the grace of God. That can only become apparent to an individual when they have come into the realization of the nature of that I which has come to us, that we might have life, that we might have it more abundantly. Many people lose the way because they think I lived 2,000 years ago. They think I lived as the man Jesus and as nobody else. Not realizing that I live as me and I live as you and that that I is the true identity of every individual and that I is with you that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. It may be true that there is only one I and I'm sure we will discover that it, there is only one I but we will also discover that that I is your being and that it is yours in order that you may have life that you might have it more abundantly that it is your permanent identity unto immortality and if this temple is destroyed in three days by your recognition of the I that I am it will be raised up again really it makes no difference if this temple is destroyed because even now it is being destroyed day by day every bit of our body drops away day by day and is renewed day by day it is said that in the course of a year not one of us has the body we had a year ago so it is then that this I which is our true identity is letting the body die day by day in order that it may be renewed day by day and so if this whole temple were destroyed I would raise it up again the more conscious we are of being that I the less chance we have of witnessing the destruction of our body except if we wanted to do it as the master did just as an illustration we could say go ahead destroy it and in three days I'll raise it up again just to show you as an exhibition what can be done but otherwise you will find that your body is the temple of the living God it's an indestructible temple an immortal temple
So you see the importance of this reading tonight. You know, you have here in England the best newspaper there is in all the world. I don't know of any in all my world's travels that compares with the Manchester Guardian. And uh, those who read that paper are posted on all of the conditions that, are, that exist in this world. It covers the whole range of world activities from human activities, from uh, one point of the circle right around this globe to its starting point. But if you read it regularly, you'll take note that the sun isn't shining in many parts of the world. There are very few spots where there aren't wars and rumors of wars and starting of wars and troubles and depressions and financial lack. And the question must come to your thought, Isn't it possible to bring God into the scene and change this and bring peace on earth? Well, there are individuals and there are groups all over the world praying for just that. It would be a great miracle if they should ever succeed. For the history of the world, it never has succeeded. And there have been just such groups since time began. Individuals and groups all over the globe praying mightily every day for peace on earth. No one yet has ever lived and witnessed it. No one has ever seen a period of peace on earth. There have been a few short intervals between wars, very short, but never peace. Never. Prayers of that kind have never been answered. Prayers of that kind never can be answered. It is uh, a pleasant pastime, and I'm sure it's... Uh, leads ultimately for the individual who's doing it to a greater experience than if he were watching a television show or playing cricket. But as far as achieving the hoped-for ends of peace on earth, it can't happen. And the reason it can't happen is there isn't any war on earth. The only war that exists is in the mind of men. And the only place that war is ever going to be eliminated is in the mind of men. And if it isn't eliminated there, it isn't going to be eliminated on earth. Because how can you have peace on earth while you have white hating black or black hating white, while you have occidental hating oriental or vice versa? 
How are you going to have peace on earth while one nation is uh, trying to get the land away from another nation? Or an individual is trying to get the finances away from another individual? How can there be peace on earth? Why, if peace could be established on earth in this second, don't you know that tomorrow there'd be wars? There would have to be unless the mind of man were changed. If we could have this room filled with people who could make the declaration within themselves, I not only would not go to war with you for any reason, not even for anything that you would do to me, but I wouldn't go to war with you if you stole everything I have. And furthermore, I wouldn't even go to court to sue for it. Now, if a room full of us felt like that, there could be no wars in this room. But would that stop it in the next house? No. No, certainly not. You see, the mind of man is the cause of war. His greed, his avarice, his jealousy, his malice, his lust for power, for control, for money. You can't stop wars while that's going on. It's an impossibility. And so it is that prayers shouldn't be for peace on earth. Prayers should be that the Christ should touch men's souls and awaken them. Then when the soul of man is awakened, he doesn't want war. In fact, you couldn't get him to war, except he were ordered there by a government. You must render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's. You can't help that. But that is doing something contrary to your own inner instincts merely to fulfill the functions of a citizen. But going to war doesn't end war. Staying home from war doesn't end it either. One thing alone ends war. When an individual realizes that there is a God. He has nothing left to war for. For anything that he could possibly get from man whose breath is in his nostril, he could get much better and more of from God, from the realization of I as his true identity. Now, don't believe for a minute that peace is the answer to national or international problems. Peace is just a little resting time to lay up more arms for the next war, to arrange a little more trickery to catch the next nation unaware. Our prayers should be that the hearts and minds of men be illumined by the Spirit of God, that the Christ touch individual consciousness and awaken men to the realization of their true identity, of the true nature of life. Then you can bring together a room full of people in the assurance not only 
that they won't war with each other. They won't even sue each other. In other words, they will have laid down the sword. When uh, you can multiply this room full by nations full, then peace automatically ensues. Not because any mysterious God stopped it, but because with the mind of man purified, there are no occasions for war. Everything can be settled by agreements. Back in the early days of trade unions in the United States, we had some pretty vicious strikes, strikes in which many, many men lost their lives on both sides. There were no angels in those days on the side of capital or labor. They were all devils. They were all willing to use the power of guns and of brickbats to win their strikes, both sides. And uh, strikes were very evil things. Buildings were burned, factories were burned, people were burned up in them. Nobody cared. Machine guns were used to shoot them down. Lately, strikes have become less evil in their nature so far as the physical aspect of it is concerned, and in the ex with the exception of a few, a very few labor leaders who are still animals. They're not men. They haven't been raised to the dignity of any type of manhood. They're just, they're just clawing animals. Except for those few, strikes are conducted with dignity, with law, and with order. And strikes are becoming less and less and less in the United States. I presume that this is true over here, that they're getting less and less over here. This is because men are awaking more and more and more to the fact that force is not the answer to the demonstration of life. Now, when governments wake up, as capital and labor has awakened, when politicians awake to that, there will be no more need of wars, because all that can be accomplished by war can be accomplished by agreement. There has to be, of course, goodwill, and there's where prayer comes in. There must be goodwill in the mind of man before he can negotiate. There must be goodwill, and goodwill does not get there through materialism. Materialism clings too much to its dollars or pounds or properties. Goodwill, or rather, materialism clings to possessions rather than to rights and justice and righteousness. Therefore, when the mind of man is purified, he will be freed of materialistic tendencies, that he will be freed of the evil side of life. When will man be thus freed? When he begins to realize that I am come 
I am come. I in the midst of you, I which is closer to you than breathing and nearer than hands and feet, that that I is come, that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And as you learn to live with that, abide in that truth and let that truth abide in you, all of a sudden you find your life becoming simpler. Fewer quarrels, fewer disagreements, fewer fights, a greater sense of abundance. And uh, then you realize why none of this came to me from outside me. This has come from my recognition that God is in the midst of me. That God is where I am. That every time I announce or pronounce the word I, I'm declaring the presence of God. And my dependence being on that God, that I, the center of my being, the Father within me, my dependence being on it rather than on man whose breath is in his nostril, even princes. That is what begins to open up the whole of life to me. And then I can understand why there is something that I am that is called I. And that its function in my existence is to bring me life and to bring it more abundantly. Therefore, I need not look to man whose breath is in his nostril. I need not look to princes. I need not look to the favoritism of any man. I need not look to deals or manipulations. I can just trust this I to go before me and make the crooked places straight. As a matter of fact, I can go still further. I can realize that this I is the, my bread of life. That this I is the meat, the wine, the water, the power of resurrection, the healing Christ. And therefore that my whole and sole dependence is on the I, that I am. And you'd be surprised what happens in your relationships with everybody on earth the minute they feel that you're not holding them in bondage, that you don't feel that they owe you something. The minute you begin to realize that why even uh, your legal claims are nothing. You don't even have to enforce them. You don't even want them or need them. For anything that I cannot do for me all that the other fellows got wouldn't help. I have meat the world knows not on. Therefore, I don't have to look outside my own being. I am the wine and the water. I am the staff of life. It's all embodied within my own being. It's all embraced within me. And it unfolds to me through perfectly normal, natural channels. And while it seems to come from others, it isn't really, it's coming through them. God is just using them as an instrument through which my own shall come to me. Just as God uses me as an instrument through which your own shall come to you. The truth you are seeking of God, you are receiving from God. I may be an instrument 
through which you are receiving it from God at this moment, but are not necessary to your demonstration. Only the eye of your being is necessary, because as long as you look to it, it will raise up seed, and if there isn't a Joel around, or a Gwen around, or there'll be a Jacob, or Moses, or Jesus, or a book, you'll never lack. <coughs> if you look to Joel, you may, or any other person. But if you are looking to the eye of your own being, then it may come to you through Joel or some other being. But really, it will be the eye of your own being that raised it up. You attract to yourself your teacher and your teaching. Just as your teacher and your teaching attract you to them. I draw to me those of my own household. No man can take those away from me. Gwen draws unto her those of her own household. Be very stupid for somebody to try to take those away from her. They're hers by divine right. Any person would try to interfere with that would have an experience like Sapphira and Ananias had who held out on God. They dropped in it. Let no one try to take from anyone those whom God has given them. For they're not fighting man, they're fighting God. They come off second best each time. And second best isn't very good. So you see, with all of us, that which God gives you, no man can take from you. That which you get by human argument, human conniving, human cleverness, even human strength, human wisdom, you may lose. You will never lose that which is given to you by God. But anyone reaches out their finger to touch it will get electrocuted. Therefore, it is necessary in order for us to be free that we recognize that the I which I am, which is the offspring of God, is my provider, is my wisdom, is my strength, is my immortality, is my eternality. I am come that I might have life and that I might have it more abundantly and infinitely and eternally and harmoniously. And so I dare only look to the I that I am. I dare not look out here. Not to any man. I can be thankful and I can be grateful to every individual who is an instrument through which God's grace reaches me. But they're not the source of my good. God, which is the I, that I am. This is the source. And so it is with truth. Your truth comes to you from the I of your own being. And if you always look to it, it will raise up for you your teacher or your teaching, as long as what is needed, and you can be thankful to them and you can be grateful to them. But do not confuse the issue and think that they are your God or your truth. They are but the instrument which your own consciousness raised up 
for you. So it is that in the message of the infinite way, we learn that I and the Father are one. All that the Father hath is mine, mine to share, mine to give, mine to send out about the Father's business. I do not have to hold on to it, for I do not live on yesterday's manner. Every day, God unfolds, discloses, and reveals itself. And always there are twelve baskets full left over. That's the lesson to me of the 10th chapter of John. Thank you.